Hello, this is Risa Courier, host of the Alliance podcast, coming to you from the Humane Rescue Alliance in Washington, D.C. Today, I'm very excited to be joined by Laura Maloney, an accomplished leader in animal welfare. Laura is the principal of Adisa Group and specializes in executive and leadership development, team and organizational effectiveness, and strategic alignment of organizations. She has a special interest in expanding the capacity of leaders to build thriving enterprises and high-performing teams. Laura offers a unique perspective, the result of serving in diverse leadership roles, ranging from entrepreneur to roles in the executive office of a Fortune 500 company, to the CEO of a multi-billion, multi-million dollar organization, to the COO of national and global nonprofits operating in 50 countries. One very interesting and relevant part of Laura's background is that she was in charge of the Louisiana SPCA during Hurricane Katrina. Her ability to lead an organization during a time of crisis has greatly informed her leadership style and made her a sought after expert, not only on crisis preparedness, but how to navigate a crisis situation. So thank you, Laura, for joining us. It's wonderful to hear your voice. Uh, so delighted to be here. Really, truly honored to do this and um, happy to, yeah, I'm excited to chat with you. So Laura, how are you doing? I am doing great. I, you know, it's been interesting. Um, I have been out of my house, actually. We were, when all of this was happening, we were at an Airbnb. Um, and while our, our floors were, were being refinished in our house, and so we had no furniture. So it was unsettling during that time. And, and interestingly, it, uh, some friends from New Orleans during Hurricane Katrina were texting yeah. and saying, does this feel strikingly familiar? But yeah. it was really for other reasons. Uh, but yeah. for me, not being at my home and, uh, you know, all of that had this really, it was an undertow kind of beneath the surface that, that I wasn't yet, I didn't, wasn't really aware of, but it made so much sense. So my heart goes out to everyone who is really managing during this time. I think everyone is challenged in one way or the other. And there's also great innovation that's happening, of course, um, which yes, is the yes. plus side of, of disaster. Well, and it's also had to change your entire business model. I know you and Betsy are just always traveling and on the road to meet with your clients all around the world. How have you just been able to reschedule a lot of things to virtual meetings? Yep, we're doing virtual meetings and uh, okay. we are taking a training. I take a training on Wednesday on how to facilitate breakout groups and, you know, almost doing a retreat type of thing by, you know, remotely. And so mm -hmm. we're super excited about, you know, continuing to support our clients where we may need multiple people's points of view and having 50 people on a call or 20 people on the call, you know, it's hard to get everyone's perspective. Um, but doing that through breakout groups, just like we would do in a retreat is really exciting. So we're looking forward to kind of taking this next step. Well, we might have to have you back and um, for you to provide some additional feedback, because I know right now it feels awkward and kind of clunky to be on these 
uh, calls and doing Zoom with more than a few people, with people talking over each other and interrupting and, um, you know, forgetting to put mute on. And so if there's a better way, uh, I think everybody will be eager to hear uh, what you discover um, in this process. So, I, it's interesting that you brought up New Orleans and Hurricane Katrina, because I, too, have been hearing that a lot, not only in the media, but in conversations with people that it feels very similar, that um, I think people are drawing comparisons not only to the enormity and scale that both Katrina and COVID-19 are having, but also the economic and public health and just the the disruptions to daily life. So I, I'm eager to get your input. Um, and I would love to take you back to 2005 to Hurricane Katrina. And you were the CEO of the Louisiana SPCA responsible for evacuating hundreds of animals, as well as thinking about your staff. And as a Hurricane 5 um, category five, sorry, hurricane barreled towards your shelter. So Laura, what was going through your mind during that time? Well, you know, at the time, I remember exactly where I was, what I, I was driving in a car. It was a Friday night and the storm had turned. Um, mm -hmm. It wasn't planning to come to New Orleans. You know, it wasn't, we, we weren't going to get the brunt of it anyway. Um, and I thought to myself, oh, gosh, we had just evacuated the month before for Hurricane Dennis, and that was a Cat 4, um, and we had no impact, and we come back, which is typically the way it is. You come back, and life is normal, and, you know, you carry on. But emptying a shelter, is, as you would know, is not an, you know, easy endeavor because you're – you have hundreds of animals at the time we had you know 253 or 63 i'm actually something along those lines and animals in the shelter and we had to send them to three different places based on whether they were cruelty or stray or you know or you know up for adoption and so um at the time we had to make a quick call and i remember speaking to our director of ops at the time and um saying you know we really looks like we're going to have to do this, which is a tremendous amount of uh, work. But the city had not made that decision. And, you know, it, right. which so it wasn't quite wasn't uncommon for the city to not take action very quickly. But because mm -hmm. we had a lot to prepare, um, we had to make the call early. And I'm certainly glad we did because our shelter was uh, destroyed as a part of Hurricane Katrina. So once you were in your temporary quarters and you'd moved your animals out and you had your staff relocated, then became a whole other dimension of response. How did you navigate just the uncertainty of not knowing when things would return to normal? Well, I remember sitting in the Houston SPCA uh, office. That's where we had moved our animals that were up for adoption um, because they we had a partnership with them. So we had done already a lot of disaster planning. Uh, uh -huh. was great. And so we're, we're prepared, but you never can be completely prepared. You know, you have right. to do just the best you can given the situation. So we saw that this... Um, that the levee walls were not holding 
And so then we had no plan for this kind of a response. And so immediately got on the phone with the state of Louisiana, started, you know, here's what we can do, here's potential options, really brainstorming very quickly. Um, you know, our staff did not plan to be out of uh, their homes for weeks on end. You know, we evacuated because of flooding, uh, right. but never like complete destruction. Uh, so when we was clear, um, you know, we didn't know what to expect. We stopped at Target, I remember, or, or Walmart, one of those stores. And I remember getting, you know, necessities for everyone because people didn't bring enough clothes. We didn't bring enough, you know, things that just to live for weeks on end. And we didn't know what to prepare for. And I remember buying a um, Wi-Fi, uh, what you, a network, um, mm -hmm. wireless network. And we decided on where to set up uh, the temporary shelter, which was Lamar Dixon, which many in our field know about. Um, I remember walking into Lamar Dixon and saying, may I use um, may I set this wireless network up? Because uh, they didn't have wireless, no, you know, access. And they said, sure, no problem. And they didn't expect, nor did we expect, what would become Lamar Dixon <laughs> that right. everyone knows so well with 2,000 animals on site. Oh, my gosh. And then providing for the stability for staff um, who had family, uh, one, one of our staff members did not know where her children were or her husband. Uh. And so not only were you dealing with just, um, the animal situation of what was happening, but you were dealing with people's personal, uh, situations. So people were having to work at a job while also not knowing a lot about the health and well-being of their family, which in some ways feels quite similar here, where you have people whose husbands or wives may be doctors or nurses, and they're going into the hospital, and you never quite know, or, you know, if someone gets sick very quickly. And, you know, so I think we danced with the uncertainty as best we could, we planned as best we could, we called upon partners. Um, so I think there's a number of things that in order to navigate kind of complex situations, what to do, you know, what I, you know, looking back and have, and since having an opportunity to have um, managed disasters, you know, for large national groups, right? You know, I think there are a number of things that I think are important. Do you mean to share those or? Yes, please go ahead. I think any guidance you could provide to individuals in leadership positions right now as they're navigating just as you perfectly stated, the unknowns and dealing with really complex dynamic situations from staffing issues and staff having to take care of children and, and elderly parents to those that are ill and or on quarantine. So yes, please do, Laura. That would be great. Yeah, no, I think um, I, I think recognizing, you know, people are are coming with their whole selves. So, mm -hmm. you know, when they're in front of the computer at home, their their child, I was on a conference call the other day, a video call, and um, the, the, the my colleague's child came up with the iPad, mommy, mommy, <laughs> you know, and she's like <laughs> apologetic. And she's like, I'm sorry. And I'm like, please, no worries. You know, it's everyone. <laughs> and, and she had, and then her dog was barking and then her neighbor was built using the time to build a deck. And so <laughs> there was a lot going on. <laughs> 
And she just was like, she, her, her reaction was priceless, but you know, she has a great sense of humor and, and you know, was able to, uh, to manage, but it's clearly a lot going on. So I think being certain patient with yourself uh, mm. and knowing uh, that this is an unusual time and this will not go on forever. Um, so I think also having a healthy sense of humor uh, is important and knowing that this, this will, this is temporary, but you know, from a leadership perspective, I think communicating regularly with your staff, you know, daily and often. Um, mm -hmm. I think people, if leaders look worried, you know, people look to you as if you look worried, then I should be worried. And, you know, I think it's one of the reasons that we have, um, we look to leadership nationally, you know, for some comfort. And when that's not there, it creates a sense of unsettledness. Right. Um, I, you know, communicating, uh, creating a structure, if you can, with staff call-ins. So every day, you know, every morning, um, whatever is the time that's best, you know, after cleaning or before cleaning or whatever is happening in your shelter, um, you know, the people who are working in the shelter, as well as people working from home, where teams can still get together um, by video, um, by phone, you know, that kind of thing is really important. So structure you know, showing you care about the emotional well-being and safety. Um, during Hurricane Katrina, we had um, um, Society of Industrial Psychologists work with us for two years, um, during and after, because they were studying our dynamics, essentially, and they were directed to us by FEMA. Um, wow. And I think it had a lot to do with the social fabric of what we were, yeah. And, and creating that contract, you know, with, with people, uh, you know, you're, there was hugs, there was, you know, that kind of thing, which now that's not possible with COVID yeah. hugs, but how do you do that and create that well-being and support and know um, you can call, you can have a video chat just to check in. Um, mm -hmm. I think that's uh, critical. And also including volunteers in the communication, you know, sometimes yeah. people, staff but not volunteers but they are their heart is right with you um, so how do you communicate that internally and externally you know and I think create creating uh, some scenarios for worst case scenario you know worst case scenarios what's happening what are the plans that we can we can create I think taking breaks uh, essential uh, for everyone, you know, we yeah. may be running on adrenaline, which makes it hard to sleep sometimes. Yes. <laughs> Everyone's getting up at uh, three in the morning or four in the morning or two in the morning, mm -hmm. you know, and part of that is because you're, you're, um, you need to reset yourself in, at some, some level, but we don't, in times of disaster, people want to push themselves really hard and they don't want to take a break because they feel animals will suffer or people will suffer or there's no other option. But, you know, we're not able to perform as um, quickly. You know, our, our ref reflexes are slower if we don't rest and sleep. Our yeah. emotions are, you know, we don't have as much access to our prefrontal cortex, which is what makes our decisions we are operating more from an emotional place when you don't have as much sleep. Um, so finding a way to just ensure that if you have to sacrifice other things, sleep is going to be one of the most important things you can do. Sleep and food 
um, and eating healthy versus reaching for the potato chips, which yeah. I think working at home can be challenging. Yes, yes. Even in non-stressful times, it's like the refrigerator beckons, you know, it's just hard. <laughs> super, super hard. Yes, definitely. Um, and and as, a, as a leader, too, I think of having some backup plans for training, like instead of having one person who does all of that stuff, those things, if that person becomes ill, what is the backup plan for that person? Um, you know, so that you're building redundant systems in some way. And then I think delegating decision making authority, which could mm -hmm. can be hard for some people. But I think the more as a team, you're able to make some of these collective decisions and starting off together in the morning, closing at the end of the day with a check in um, those things. You know, what did we learn today? What's our takeaways for today? What's our intention for tomorrow? And just creating some of that structure um, just helps, uh, I think, when you're working. Uh, from home as well. Yeah, that that all makes sense. And our CEO, Lisa LaFontaine, keeps reminding us this is not a sprint, it's a marathon. And you need to try to take breaks, take time out, and try to take the weekend if you can. And of course, that varies. And but it's a reminder that we have to bring our best selves. And in order to bring our best selves, there has to be a reprieve from doing this every day all day long and the other thing i found that's been interesting during this time is that we've invested a lot of energy um, at our organization to culture and really establishing strong relationships amongst our staff and especially amongst our leadership team and things that bonding exercises and um, strategic planning, it's all coming home to roost right now, I think, because our communication is so effortless. We are able to be very straightforward and we just have really strong foundational relationships, which have now are just more important than ever as we're trying to navigate new ways of communicating and uh, making decisions on things we've never had to make decisions on before. So um, that, that feedback is really helpful, Laura. And I think especially as we're all in this place of unknowing and not knowing when it will end and um, what tomorrow will hold. So you you recently wrote an article for Forbes, I read it last week, on uh, facing your fears. And in the article, you state that if necessity is the mother of invention, imagine how many entrepreneurs will be born from the coronavirus crisis, which has fundamentally altered how we work, learn, socialize, exercise, and even shop for groceries. So this seems to be a time where organizations and individuals are having to adapt and innovate. At HRA, we're finding this is an extremely challenging time for all of us, but also strangely invigorating because we're making operational changes that we never thought possible. For example, we moved all our adoptable animals into foster and we successfully launched a virtual adoption process. In many ways, we're removing barriers of our own creation. So how do you manage fear and uncertainty during a time like this, 
So you can free yourself up to adapt and innovate. You know, we're so used to our routines and the things that come, certain triggers happen, you know, when we're, let's say just simple thing, like you're a certain time of the day, you get up to get a snack and, you know, your routine, it becomes a habit. And those habits are really hardwired from a neurological or neurobiological perspective, neuroscience perspective, when in the absence of those routines, it's actually a great try, time to practice new ways of being and behaviors. So it's an interesting opportunity, but it doesn't mean that we're not facing the unknown and that, you know, without that kind of foundation to support you of, of all of those scaffolding, the scaffolding that you normally have around you, we're now kind of going flying a little bit into the unknown, um, which can be terrifying, but it's also a great opportunity to find and, and practice and think about new ways of, of doing something. Um, you know, I think when you're facing a time of uncertainty, it's good to remember that you've faced uncertainty in your past um, and you're still here. You know, we're all still here mm -hmm. and we've done things with you know, when we were learning to walk the first time or learning, we didn't right. know how to do any of those things. You know, we fell down, we did those things, but we got through. And, you know, if you can think about when you've had to cope in the past with difficult situations and reassure yourself that you will cope with this and uh, you will get through this period. And when, you know, we've in sheltering been doing things and preaching certain messages for decades now about spay neuter you know, all of these things, yet we're, we're toying with ideas of releasing animals that are not um, sterilized. So it goes against our very core of like, what this is against kind of what we've been speaking to. But the situation calls upon us to really challenge some assumptions that we may have <clears throat> about the way we've worked, trust in other people, um, and really look at things in a fresh new way. Some things that we'll do as a sector or you as an individual will succeed gloriously and you'll have unintended consequences that you may never have expected. And then other things will not, you know, go as you hoped. Um, and there's learnings there too. You know, there's learnings from what goes well and learnings for what doesn't go well. And I think those opportunities you know, to also work as a team and to everybody has their own perspective and lens by how they're viewing something. Um, that creates incredible creativity because somebody may think of an approach that you wouldn't have thought about on your own and you try it. And then if it doesn't work, it doesn't, but it's, it's letting go of some of the um, restrictions that we place on ourselves and our lives. And it's really how these highly creative ideas happen is often you know you're faced with some situation where a need isn't met or something's happening and from that is born are born these ideas that you wouldn't have thought of had operations been you know as as usual so i think you know and remembering that you're resourceful we're all incredibly resourceful and i think it's one of the beautiful things about americans you know as a as our culture we are a resourceful group of people 
and we find ways, we make the best decisions we can with the information available. And I think mine, you're not going to be able to have know everything, but you just can go with what you have available, make the best decision, and then modify as you move along. And you know, I think some things talking to friends, you think about you're the CEO of your own life, and you know, what mm -hmm. is it that you you know what are the decisions you're faced with and how do you make them with friends and family and colleagues and talking things through and um, but know that you will be fine even if you decisions are made that don't turn out to be great ones at the time you were making those decisions based on the information you had available and you'll tweak them after experience and learn mm -hmm. new ways of working Katrina changed the way we do disaster response and so in that, there's a lot of learnings, even though there was a lot of tragedy. That's that's very true, and it changed the way we transport and care for animals and shelter animals. It was a defining experience um, in so many ways, and I think we are going to see how this virus is going to reshape society and reshape our industry. I've, I've already seen um, how powerful the sense of community has been amongst animal welfare professionals, just the sharing of best practices, the sharing of resources, the calls and the communication, and just truly a sense of camaraderie uh, as we're all navigating new uh, situations and like releasing animals to the public that are intact, right? Like you said, that was that that was inconceivable to be doing that. And now we are moving to this place where it is ne necessary for the safety of uh, the staff um, because you really can't socially isolate while performing those kinds of sur surgeries and it's necessary to preserve PPEs and um, so we have no idea what what tomorrow holds but I, I do feel that um, amongst Americans and also amongst our industry colleagues there is just this sense of tremendous resilience, tremendous resourcefulness so that's very encouraging. Um, I think some people listening may be faced with a situation where they may not be receiving leadership they need right now. So the federal response to uh, COVID-19 is an example. The government's message has been inconsistent and even sometimes contradictory. And I think that's really enhanced anxiety for people because they aren't sure what information to trust and they're looking uh, for sources of information that they can find reliable and truthful. What advice do you have for individuals who are struggling um, in an environment where they don't have strong leadership right now? Yeah, no, it's, uh, you know, during Katrina, it was very similar as we talked about earlier. We didn't have strong leadership and at a governmental level. Um, and everyone was panicked. And when I say right. that is, the entities, the police were panicked at the time. Like mm -hmm. there was no communication happening and there was no way, there was no internet. I mean, in that way, we didn't have that um, ability. Cell phone towers were down. So it created tremendous chaos. 
um, certainly then. So I think that was a wake-up call for me and that kind of brought home that we are our own leader. <laughs> we, we are the CEO of our lives and we are the we have to make decisions and work together as a collective. And I've been really encouraged by the sheltering community's response. You know, I, I'm on the Facebook group where so many shelter people are that are sharing forms and all kinds of things. I'm also on a listserv uh, for another state, you know, state response. And just really amazing how people are supporting each other and working together. Um, so if you may not have strong leadership in your own shelter, let's say, where can you provide, where can you gain the support and know that you will be resourceful, you know, but also I think checking in with your own values. And so instead of, you know, sometimes when we're working without leadership, now that could be at the federal level or, um, government or local within our organizations, you know, being in touch with your own core values, which I, I talk a lot about core values because I think it is pretty foundational to how we live our lives. And so, you know, what are those values you're going to hold true even in the toughest of times? Those things are grounding to who you are. So if you are super upset at your boss, let's say, because you feel the boss is not making good decisions, you know, how would you handle that normally, but also not not going to vent, you know, to others about how bad your boss is, but what are the options for handling it with the best you can? Um, doesn't mean you don't speak to colleagues around how to problem solve around that situation, but there's a difference between ongoing complaining and how do we address the issue and work around this challenge um, and make things and move, move the ball, so to speak. I don't know if that's saying more than you wanted me to, but <laughs> around the boss, but. No, that's great. That's great advice. And I think a lot of people, especially shelter leaderships, is they're relying on state and local officials that they are relying on their leadership and clear thinking and directives and funding and all those things. And they're not, they may not be getting the support they need. And it trickles all the way down to the animal care staffer trying to make their best decisions on how to safely care for animals. So that's really good guidance to, to focus on your core values. So um, I know we're running out of time, but I just wanna ask one more question. And it's something that you've you've talked about and written a lot about over the years, which is wellness. And um, I've I'm a follower of your advice in terms of having a daily routine that includes not only exercise when I can fit it in, but also a mental health check in. And um, I think now a lot of people are finding that their routines are completely upside down. Um, if they're not going into the office anymore, or if they're also caring for children and family and teleworking, um, and then everyone seems to just be working crazy hours in response to this. So what advice do you have on trying to prioritize wellness right now? Uh, yeah, and I think it's it's hard for everyone when you're routine is upended and and with you have children at home or family members you know I think a few, a few thoughts come to mind um, one is cutting yourself some slack <laughs> knowing mm -hmm. you can't do all things right now and you will return you know to doing those things you know in time 
and but if you're used to lifting weights five times a week or three times a week and you can't um, you know there are there are alternatives um, that you could employ to doing it a fewer times and know that it will this is just a temporary measure um, you know thinking about what is most important to your well-being so for for someone to retain a level of um, contentedness or um, you know grounding is it you know mindfulness practice that someone does in terms of breathing they may or they may never have done that in their life but they may want to they could try with just some deep breaths or is physical mm -hmm. fitness important to you you know what is it that you're missing that you know would bring you value but you feel you don't have the time um, can you get up a bit earlier? I mean, we almost could take you as a, as a, if we wanted to walk through uh, a challenge that you may be facing, but what is, what is that? Can you get up even five minutes earlier um, than your children or household mates or whomever and doing that one thing that will help bring you a sense of calm? Um, you know, if you're normally doing a 20 minute mindfulness exercise, let's say you can only afford five, do five and and forgive yourself and uh, be easy on yourself for not being able to do all of those things you know taking a walk certainly boosts mood you know that physical exercises i think one of the things well in some cases you're seeing a lot more people outside because you can go outside and keep social distance um, so people are doing that it seems like a lot we're seeing people outside more than i've certainly seeing people outside usually. Now we're also all working from home, so it's easier to mm -hmm. do that. Um, and doing it with your children or getting them out because they're likely pretty wound up themselves. You know, it's like a dog who's used to going to the dog park and is suddenly in your house with you. <laughs> what about <Yes>. that? <laughs> um, so how can you create um, some of those opportunities and build in breaks and um, build in some structure, you know, getting up at the same time, getting dressed, you know, not um, working in your PJs all day as much as, mm -hmm. as comfortable as that might be. The PJ thing, it's, it's, it's all fine and good until you realize you have a Zoom call with your boss and then, <laughs> and then you'll, you wish you would have gotten dressed properly in the morning. <laughs> Yeah, it's funny how many people do that. I've, I've talked to a lot of people who normally work from home and they are, um, if you ask them to stand up, they are in shorts and then they, you know, have dress clothes on the top, uh, you know, which is very funny. Uh, so, uh, yeah, and I think so for wellness, you know, it's really what is that thing that is going to really help you? What is it the, that you know deep in your soul? Like, breathing deeply like for me physical fitness is absolutely essential that's probably my greatest challenge um because i'm a cyclist or i'm an mm -hmm. in, indoor cycle and i don't have access to the gym and because of the financial situation I'm, i don't i would love a peloton but i've made the decision not to get one um because you don't know you know i just am trying to say well what can i do instead and how do i get my heart rate up instead of biking up you know, indoors in the way I normally would. Um, right. And so I think of finding alternatives and just, you may find something you will still like doing, but I think the people who have children um, are in some ways, you know, they've got other humans involved, but people can also, when they're at home by themselves and they're an extrovert 
and they're used to having people to talk to or walk up to or a colleague of mine who focuses on elephant issues is a hugger and uh, she works for a <laughs> conservation organization and she like hugs people every day and she is lives alone and she says that is probably one of the hardest things she's had to adjust mm -hmm. to is not having physical touch and so that is uh so how do you create now if you have a pet you can certainly get some of that oxytocin boost from that right. <laughs> um, right. but if you're really alone at home you know, how do you build in those moments of check-in, Zoom calls? There's a lot of happy hours happening on Zoom. <laughs> you know, group conversations and happy hour instead, and which brings some other interesting, yeah, ways of ways of working and entertaining uh, ourselves. <laughs> right. No, my my heart does go out, particularly to people that are navigating this uh, by themselves and are extroverted and I think humans are very social creatures and we we need to have touch and proximity to others it's it's part it's a requirement for happiness and health I think you know you find a rare person that's kind of wired differently but most people need interaction and connection to be happy and to be healthy. So this is really hard for a lot of people in so many different ways. Um, well, I think we're out of time, Laura, but I just wanted to thank you for joining us um, and providing all your wisdom and sharing that with, with all of our listeners. And to our listeners, I just want to remind you to subscribe to the podcast so you can receive more episodes like this one. And Please do drop us a line and let us know how you are doing. So be safe and be well.